why were my inferior competitors doing better than I was, right? And the answer was, of course, marketing. And so I, being a bit slow on the uptake, I finally figured that out. And then I tried to figure it all out myself. And it cost me a decade in terms of time, which is very expensive. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you have got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. To reduce risk in your life, go to myworstinvestmentever.com today and take the risk reduction assessment I created from the lessons I've learned from more than 500 guests. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest, Alan Dibb. Alan, are you ready to join the mission I am ready. I'm ready to go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I am ex- super excited to have you on the show. And I want to introduce you to the audience. Alan Dibb is a serial entrepreneur, rebellious marketer, and number one best-selling author. His book, The One-Page Marketing Plan, has been an international bestseller for the past four years. Alan helps businesses all over the world develop and improve their marketing capabilities using the One-Page Marketing Plan framework. Alan, take a minute and tell us, what's that unique value that you are bringing to this darn world? I'm really proud of being able to be someone who takes complex business and marketing topics and really simplifies them for people who need that in their businesses and in their lives. So that's really what I feel I I was put on earth to do is really help business owners just understand complex concepts in an easy to understand way. Mm. It's interesting because I I have a, I say almost the exact same thing, but about finance. Nice. And I have a course called Finance Made Ridiculously Simple. (laughs) But but when I look at marketing, it seems so hard. It does. You know, and funny that people always say, oh, finance is hard. But as a finance guy, marketing is very hard. In fact, nowadays, you're not even competing just against your competitor. You're competing against just a distracting device, basically, or a distraction. And I'm just... I want to ask a first question is, when did you first get the idea to write this book? Had you already been kind of working with the notes over the years with clients or had you just came to you and said, I'm going to take six months and write this? Or what was the origin of coming up with the idea of writing the book? So the the origin was I started my business career and life as a dead broke IT geek. I was not in marketing. I had no idea about business or sales or any of those things. I was good at technical stuff to do with IT and computers. And I really struggled to get clients in the door. And that took me on a, on a decade-long journey to, to learn marketing. Anyway, fast forward a few years, I sold that business and did, did very well out of it. It was another business and grew it very fast and sold that as well. And I started working in a consultant capacity with a lot of clients and I wanted them to put together a marketing plan, right? Because if we don't have a plan, we kind of plan to fail, right? So I was working with clients on their marketing and I wanted them to put together a marketing plan and I got a lot of pushback. It was like, too difficult, don't know where to start, need to hire a consultant, don't know what to do, all of that sort of stuff. So I put together a framework where in literally a single page, 
people could easily create a sophisticated marketing plan for their business so that they had clarity on what to do. Because here's the big problem. A lot of people do random acts of marketing. We'll try a little bit of we'll do a, a um, pay-per-click campaign, we'll do whatever. And none of those things are bad things, but we're just kind of throwing spaghetti against the wall, right? So we're trying to random things. And so, you know, there's a good reason why anyone where the stakes are high follows a plan. You know, your, your pilot follows a flight plan. Your doctor follows a medical treatment plan. The military follows a military operations plan. And so to me, in business, there's nothing more high stakes than figuring out how are we going to get clients and revenue in the door. And if you don't have a plan for that, you're going to get random results. We're going to do random stuff. You're going to get random results. No, nothing. I don't think I'm saying anything controversial there. So, so basically, um, I wanted my clients to put together a plan. Like I said, I got a lot of pushback, and so I created the one-page marketing plan framework. Worked incredibly well for my clients, and I thought, you know, I've really got to get this out to to the wider wider community, and hence the reason I wrote the book. How long did it take you from the time that you thought I, I want to make this into a book now, and it? being pressing the button on, you know, it being published. <laughs> the funny thing is it was in my mind for maybe five years to actually get it done. It took me less than two months. Uh, I locked myself basically in a, in a room and just wrote for hours and hours of every day. So the procrastination was about five five years. The actual <laughs> getting it done was about two months. So, and that's, literally and that's how life goes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The things we fear, the things we, you know, (laughs) yeah. Well, before we get into the questions, since we've got you on the line, what I'd like to do is maybe I could, uh, I'm going to grab the book off my bookshelf. I'm, you know, such a keen reader and I've enjoyed the book so much. So I want to just grab the book, number one, and I want to just read a few passages for the listeners, just uh, the ones that stood out to me. And then maybe you could give your thoughts on one or two of those or, or something like that. So one second. So here's the book, nice. one-page marketing plan, and the first thing that came up, and this was on page 10, I just love this, it says, invariably, when someone makes a mess of something, it often becomes clear in the aftermath that they didn't have a plan. Exactly. That just like, oh, yeah, <laughs> you just really didn't have, you know, in some ways I've been thinking about like politics and what's going on and all of these different, you know, agendas that are being pushed different ways. And I realize when they start falling apart, you realize they never really had a plan. You know, Germany is an interesting case where they really had a passion to go green, mm. but they didn't really think it through to the extent that it wasn't accelerating as fast as what they thought. And then they were kind of left without a plan. Yes. So that, that was one thing. I'll just read off a couple of others. and then. Uh, but this one was uh, just going through some of the great headlines. And, you know, you were saying, you know, you'll use headlines extensively in your marketing when writing email subject lines, sales letterhead, you know, headlines, web page titles. And it's like, you know, here's a sample of some of the best ones out there. And it just got me thinking, like, I could think also... And I, I explained to you before we went on that, you know, I try to think of things that are original and all that. But, you know, the reality is, is that there's so much we can learn from. But here's, here's some, like, who else wants a screen star figure? Amazing secret discovered by one-legged golfer adds 50 yards to your drives, eliminate hooks and slices, and can slash up to 10 strokes from your game almost overnight. <laughs> Have you ever seen a grown man cry? 
<laughs> an open letter to every overweight person in Portland. That was just highlighting the importance of this. You know, first of all, the message I got is, you know, you got to grab people's attention, number one. But the other part that you were highlighting, I think, is that, you know, look at what other people are doing. You know, you don't have to do it in a vacuum. Here's another one. I just got a couple more, and then maybe we'll just come back and talk about the things that stand out for you. But this I thought was very interesting. And I, I've written different books, and I haven't really put them as to good use as I realized after reading this. Books. People are conditioned to almost never throw books out. Yeah. Big bonus points if you wrote a book. Books are an amazing positioning tool and catapult you from salesperson to educator and expert authority instantly. I'm doing this right now with this book. <laughs> Smart ass. <laughs> That's good. I liked it. And then here's a very powerful one for the listeners out there. If you have a business, you started up a business, it's going pretty well. You feel excited, like maybe you're going to sell it one day. And Alan says, it's a sad situation when a business owner goes to sell their business and finds out after putting in many years of hard work that their business is worthless. It's not so much the business itself is worthless. It's that they are the business and without them, there is no real business to sell. In cases like this, they can't sell it for any reasonable sum beyond the value. And, and it's just the idea of building in the consistency, building in the val valuable asset scalability, that type of thing. And then uh, this one, this one, I, I really would love to hear your thoughts on this one. And that is a general rule of thumb is about 10% of your customers would pay you 10 times more. And 1% of your customers would pay you a hundred times more. Having only a single option leaves an enormous amount of money on the table. There's many other quotes that I've highlighted, but I think we'll stop there and just out of those, what are some things that you would help us with for the listeners that have never read the book, but also for me that, you know, you know, that has read the book. Yeah. So one of the key things I'll say, and I see this all the time in the marketplace where people feel like having a good product or a good service is what's going to get them the attention that they want or deserve. And so it's very natural as human beings to have this desire for meritocracy, right? We, we want the best person to get the best result. We want the best product to work best in the marketplace. And unfortunately, our world is not a meritocracy. Like if it was, I think firefighters, nurses, librarians, they would be the best paid people in our society, right? Because they, de they deserve, you know, this, but they don't. And what I've come to realize in life is we don't get what we deserve. We get what we negotiate. And so a lot of your success in business is going to come from you marketing yourself, right? So one of the things early on that kind of really just kept me up at night and I just was trying to figure it out, I'm like, there can be two people in the same marketplace selling the same product or service, yet one does really, really well, the other one struggles or plateaus at a mediocre level. And to me, the question of what is the difference, you know, what's the difference between this person selling apples and that person selling apples? And of course, the answer is marketing, right? And a lot of people neglect that. They kind of come back to meritocracy type thinking and it ends up being wishful thinking, unfortunately. You know, like I said, I, I wish that firefighters and nurses were the best paid people in our society, but that's just not the case. So in the absence of a meritocracy, we need to figure out how do we get our share of attention and clients and conversions and sales. And that's really what marketing is all about. 
it's interesting. You know, I use a similar. I had two clients. One that they're both in pretty good industries, and they had good management teams, good CEOs. But one was doing poorly, and one was doing really well on a financial basis.、Hmm. And I was trying to figure out, and like I remember leaving and thinking to myself, like, what is the difference here? If I individually talk to each manager, the marketing manager was smart and very experienced, sales, production, you know, everything. And my conclusion was, it was the CEO's ability to coordinate the activities of the management team. Like, if they, a management team is naturally everybody's going to go in their own direction. So, being able to coordinate them and coordinate that effort. Kind of what was what what I see, but maybe I need to think also a little、That's、bit more herding, about the marketing. That's called herding cats, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, I could see that one of those two CEOs, he kind of berated people, and then he kind of talked down to them. And when you look at, I just was as an as a,、uh, you know, a mentor on the financial side as I observed this,、mm. I just could see that there was something about the way. The high-level staff that were on the management team just didn't didn't appreciate that, and it just made it harder for him to get them to work in a concentrated way. So, I think for the listeners out there, get the book, and you'll find that it's got a lot of good value. I'll have the links in the show notes, and you'll find that you can start to construct your marketing plan. And I've been working on trying to improve mine, and. I'm inspired by talking to you, so I really appreciate you taking the time. And now, it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it, and tell us your story. Okay, so I think my worst investment, as I said, I started my business career as a dead broke IT geek, and I was trying to figure out the game of marketing. You know, why were my inferior competitors? Doing better than I was, right? And the answer was, of course, marketing. And so I, being a bit slow on the uptake, I finally figured that out. And then I tried to figure it all out myself, and it cost me a decade in terms of time, which is very expensive. I mean, you know, take take it all. I mean, I spent hundreds and thousands of dollars on trial and error, on testing, on all of those sorts of things. And that's expensive, but even more expensive is a decade of my life in my prime when I when I could have shortcut that process to maybe a year or six months or something like that. Had I got the right mentors, had I got the right coaching, had I got the the right people to to walk me through. So that was an extremely expensive mistake. So it cost me a decade in time. And so I came to understand something that a mentor once told me. He said, "Pay once, cry once." Right. So. So get the right people, and a, a lot of the time, when we've got problems in life or in business or or wherever, we often try to figure out the how. When a better question would be the who, right? Who can、mm. who can fix this? Who can who can come in and do this rather than trying to figure out the how? Because unless that's your area of expertise, and often it's not. You're going to spend a long time on trial and error, on trying to figure it out, on doing it the stupid, dumb, expensive way. When you can now bring in an expert and just help you in a very, very short amount of time. And so that's something that I I do now. Whenever I have a business problem, personal problem, whatever, I will bring in the expert that will help me shortcut that process because time is so expensive. 
And why didn't you do it in the old days? Was it you thought, oh, I can figure this out, it's not that complicated, or I can do this quickly, or what was it that kind of... Exactly. Uh, well, I'm kind of from an engineering background, and as an engineer, you put your head to the grindstone and you've got a problem, you just work harder at it and longer at it and try to figure it out. Like, I'm a smart guy, I can figure stuff out, right? And so um, I think that that's the kind of mindset. And and it's it's a mindset I've seen with many people who are academically very smart, right? Mm. So in school, we're taught to have all the all the answers, right? So if you're if you come to a test, you need to have all the right answers. If you come, if you're not really good at maths and you bring in your friend who's really great at maths, that's called cheating in school. Right? <laughs> and you can get thrown out or expelled or whatever for that. But in business, that's a very smart thing to do. If you're bad at maths and you bring in the, the maths expert and he solves a problem for you, that's a very smart way of doing it in a business context. So often what we're taught academically is completely opposite to what works in, in the real world. And so I kind of had those academic smarts where I'm like, I'm a smart guy. I can work this out. I'll test and trial it and things like that. And I'll work harder and longer at it, but that's very expensive from a time perspective. Mm. So how would you describe the lessons that you learned if you were just to summarize so what I do now and what's a much better approach, and I do that with my clients who are coaching clients, is like we see a problem and we figure we figure out the who, not the how often. I mean, so you need to know you need to know the basics, right? You need to know why you're doing something. But very often we figure out, okay, great, we need to solve this problem. This is the person who's going to come in and and help you shortcut that process. So how can we take it from us having to learn it, figure it out, trial and error, all of that sort of stuff to, hey, these are the exact steps that you need to take to get that, that result. And, and we, we know and we've got that process. So using experts and using expertise, just worth their weight in gold. I mm. use that all the time now in my life and in my business. Maybe I'll summarize a couple of things that I'm thinking about. First of all, I thought, you know, one of the big problems is, okay, so yeah, if we say it's who, the question is, who? How do we find that person? And I just wrote down, who, not you. So maybe we start with the first point is that you have to come to the recognition that you're not going to be the one that's going to solve this. And that's, yeah. a, that's a hard recognition, number one, because you want to think that you can do it. That's the first thing. The second thing I was, I was thinking about, it's the same thing with financial advice. You know, If you don't know much about the stock market, and you know that you need to invest for your retirement, to go out and try to figure it out, you know, it could be a decade of losses and just, it could be a lot of pain. Totally. You know, at the end, you could learn it, you know, maybe and maybe not. You know, in a sense, you came out the other end of that process as an expert in marketing. It was just that it was very, a long, arduous process. So then, so you do have the small number of people that just say, I'm going to do this myself, fine. But for the majority of people, the next challenge they, f they face is, how do I find the right person? You know, and how do I find? That's problem number one. Problem number two is that you get someone in, particularly with marketing, and I've seen this, is that get someone in and you know, they're pretty good. They may not be the best, but let's say I can't afford the best right now for it. So I get someone that's pretty good, but you know, they just can't come up with the voice of my product. It's just really, they just don't, they don't come up with that. And I just think, ah, oh, I got to write this content. I got to write this copy again. And I'm just like, these are all the things that are going in my mind when I think about it. Maybe you could add to that a little bit. 
Yeah, they're really good points. And this is something that we need to deal with all the time. So, so in terms of people not doing it as well as you do, that's always going to be the case. But my rule of thumb is if someone can do it 80% as well as I would have done it, I let it go because that gives me leverage. But if if it's less than 80%, then there's a coaching opportunity. And so in terms of writing in your own voice, there are solutions to that. So for example, in our team, we generate a lot of content. So we generate emails, we generate blog posts, PR releases, all sorts of things. And I have a team of copywriters now. Like it's not just me who's doing, in fact, I do very little writing these days. I've got a team Mm. of copywriters. And so how do we make sure that they're writing in my voice in the way that I'm doing it? And so we've come up with a process called a copywriting style guide. So like, just like a graphic designer will come up with a style guide, say, okay, we use these colors, we use these logos, we use these fonts, and this is how we do it. So that's what a graphic design style guide looks like. Well, we do the exact same with words. So Mm. We say, what words do we use? What sentences do we use? How do I open an email? How do I typically structure things? What sentence structure do we use? How do we write in terms of addressing the audience and things like that? So we have a copywriting style guide. And that definitely helps our copywriters write in my voice and write the way that I I would expect. So certain language, certain phrases, certain sentences, and that exactly exactly mm. process that we we took that directly from the graphic design industry where they have you know visual visual and logos design style guides actually it made me think also maybe i'm being mistaken i'm thinking that it needs to be in my voice and maybe it needs to be in the voice of the True. customer too so True. <laughs> yeah you get me thinking now i'm gonna i'm gonna combine i, I usually ask two separate questions but i'm gonna combine these into one and I want to think about a young man or woman out there who has a business. It's, it's growing. You know, they're, they're doing okay, but they don't have a big budget. So they can't afford the big service. And then let's think of a, another person who has got to the point where it's like, I really need to allocate some serious budget to marketing now. So for both of these two, two people, and I, I, I want to think about your company, your resources, what you have that's free, what you have that's paid, that type of thing. So that, because I mean, my God, if, if we could somehow piggyback on what you're what you learn and what you're teaching that would be great so the question really is what one action would you recommend our listeners take and what would be the products or services that you provide that they should go at for a person that's just got a low budget and a person that says i'm ready to spend because i now see the value sure Okay. So if you've got no budget or very little budget, one thing that you can do immediately is create a plan. And, you know, the book is called the one page marketing plan. You can literally download the one page marketing plan canvas from my website for free, and you can start creating a marketing plan for your business. Because remember early on, we, we said, we don't want to do random acts of marketing. Why do we get random results, right? We want to have a planned approach, right? So as you, the quote you read from my book, you know, when someone messes something up, usually they haven't got a plan or maybe they, they haven't followed a plan, right? So that's number one. We want to create a plan because that's the, the map that's going to help you through this territory. Now, if someone's thinking, hey, this sounds really good. I want to kind of go to the next level is you want to avoid the mistake that I made, which is trying to DIY, trying to figure it all out on your own. I often tell people the most expensive furniture in the world is Ikea, right? Because 
You've got to drive there. You spend an hour trying to get all the stuff through the checkout. Then you drag it all home. Then you've got to spend a half a day assembling it. You cut your hands up. It's missing a screw. You've got to go down to get a replacement screw. It's just the most expensive. And it's being charged at my hourly rate. Exactly, exactly. And then the result is not really as good as if I had bought a decent piece of furniture, right? Right. So um, it's the most expensive furniture in the world. So my point is, if you want some help, there are resources available. So in my team, we offer a group program, we offer individual programs. And the whole point of those programs is to help you implement your marketing plan and The three key parts of that are your tools, your assets, and your processes. So tools are things like your CRM system, your content management system, and all of that. You may have all that all done, or you may not, but that's a key. Then there's assets. So you're in the financial services space, so you understand as well. Income comes from assets, right? If you own a house, you can rent that out for rental income. If you've got stocks, you can derive dividend income. And the exact same thing is true of business and marketing. If you have good marketing assets, that's what's going to get you new leads, new prospects, new clients in the door. And so an example in my business of a marketing asset is my book, right? So mm. you reach out to me to be on my on my podcast. Why? Because I've got an asset out there in the marketplace that you felt was valuable. Now, in the absence of having any assets in your business, that's where you're going to have to do like cold calling, outreach, all of those sorts of things. And so if I had to wake up in every morning and think, okay, I need to make 20 cold calls, I would hate my life, right? <laughs> so in the absence of having assets, that's where you've got to do all of this grinding, this hard work, this outreach, this follow-up, all of this sort of stuff. So one of the key things that we help businesses do is develop their marketing assets in their business. So it's not necessarily a book for different businesses. It it could be some kind of lead magnet, could be a video series, could be something where someone wants to engage with you at a higher level, could be a quiz, could be some kind of tool, whatever it is. And then the final key is the processes. So the way that we win at the game of marketing are the things that we do daily, weekly, monthly. It's not the big brand campaign. It's not the big new website relaunch or whatever. There's nothing wrong with those things, but they're not the things that are going to get you traction over the long term. It's the things that you do daily, weekly, monthly. So creating those processes and then doing those over time. It's kind of like compound interest, right? Mm -hmm. So you you don't win at investing in month one or month two, right? You win over 10, 15, 20 years of compound interest, of compound returns and things like that. So the exact same thing is true of marketing. We think about the longer game and creating those processes that are going to get you that result. So, and if you're you're open to something like that, I'm more than happy to have that discussion with you. Fantastic. Well, listeners there, you've got a great guideline, you know, from free, just go to successwise.com and download that. You can go on, obviously, Amazon and other places to just get the book and absorb it at a pretty low price. And then you've got a levels of service. And I really am interested myself. I think, I think I've, I've come to a, a turning point. It could have been my worst investment ever. Holy crap. I thought something else was, but this could have been it. So, uh, <laughs> all right. So last question, what is your number one goal for the next 12 months? My number one goal is to get my next book out. And second to that is to launch my own podcast. So I'm yet to launch my own podcast. So I'm really looking forward to to doing that. So they're my top two goals for the next 12 months. Very exciting. And uh, as soon as we get more on that, I'll 
ask you to send me the links and I'll put it in the show notes so that everybody can follow that. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. If you haven't yet taken the risk reduction assessment, I challenge you to go to my worstinvestmentever.com right now and start building wealth the easy way by reducing risk. As we conclude, Alan, I want to thank you again for joining our mission. And on behalf of Ace Dots Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? My parting words are get better at marketing because the best marketer wins every time. Straight to the heart, ladies and gentlemen, and that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying thank you for joining our mission, and I'll see you on the upside.